Hello, and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, great things can happen. I'm Mara Davis, media maven, talent booker, food enthusiast, pop culture lover, and obsessing over the new Beyonce album. And I am Terry Anulowitz. I am a state representative for Georgia House District 42. I also really love food. I, we could have a food podcast, Mara. I think maybe we could do that on the other side. Terry is uh, sitting in for Jen uh, indefinitely because Jen's life is not her own right now. She is running for attorney general and girl is busy. She's doing really important, really necessary things, hopefully out there raising piles of money and making her way. She's, She's in her own lane on this campaign and she's, yeah. She's literally doing the Lord's with a T, Lord. (laughs) work. Yes, she is. All right. So so let's get started on the most important issue that why we need uh, Jen Jordan for uh, attorney general is HB 481 is now law here. And I think we all saw this coming when Roe was overturned. We were just waiting and they ruled that, yep, they can go forward with it. And I don't know about you, Terry. I felt sick to my stomach when that was announced. I felt really angry and very and again we t- we've talked about this before i really do think the legislation was in so many ways performative it is such a murky piece of law in that there are so many things that we think are probably illegal now because of this law but we're not entirely clear people say well of course the you know the mother's life is paramount well that's not written in the bill there is there are so many situations that have to do with reproductive health that have to do with fertility that have to do with, you know, IVF, what happens, you know, what can parents do with their embryos? There are so many different circumstances, like what happens if a woman has, you know, her waters break at 18 weeks. Like we heard that harrowing story on NPR earlier this week. Oh, it's awful. I mean, just heartbreaking. There are so many situations that the bill does not address because the bill was not written and sponsored and supported by people who really cared about the details. And now we are living with this bill as law. It is the law of the land in Georgia and doctors and hospitals, healthcare systems don't quite know what to do. And this is a real problem for a woman who turns up in an emergency room bleeding out of the place where you bleed when this is happening and they're going to have to consult an ethics board to figure out how to act. You know, there's so much that we don't know. There are so many situations that we don't know, not to mention all of the other aspects of this bill, like the child support for the fetus and the HOV lane. (laughs) It's it's so murky and we don't have any more guidance. We're not going to have any more clarification until we get back into the legislative session, which is going to suck all the air out of, all of the other policy issues we need to be working on. So to the NPR story that you were referring to earlier is basically a woman in Texas who was pregnant and I think like her amniotic fluid was leaking and her pregnancy wasn't viable and they just sent her home. There was nothing they could do. And then basically it just got worse and worse and worse until she was, had so much pain inflicted on her. And it was just, you know, and, and this was interestingly a woman who identified as, you know, she's like, look, I'm pro-life. That's always been my thing, but you know, I can't make choices for other people. And here I was in this situation and I had to wait, you know, the doctors couldn't do what they needed to do. And, and it almost cost her her life. It did. This is one of those situations where pregnancy 
pregnancy turns tragic. And pregnancy turns tragic so much more often than we realize because it is a taboo subject. It's not something that we talk about. When you run into somebody at a, at a party and they're, you know, visibly pregnant, you're not like, oh, well, let me tell you what happened to me. You know, we don't. Although, are they telling you that? Here's what I wonder is, are people talking about it now? I think much more now. I mean, look at my colleague, Shay Roberts, who went on Fox News to talk about the non-viable pregnancy that she had, that they discovered was, was, it was a pregnancy that was not going to be able to happen. Shay Roberts is a Democratic state representative, a mom who has had two children, but also had an abortion. She wrote about it on Fox News's website, popular with conservatives. If I publish it in places where people who agree with me read it, I'm not really moving the ball at all. On it, Roberts wrote, my blood test indicated trisomy 18, a chromosomal disorder that they classify as incompatible with life. Essentially, my pregnancy would end with the death of our child, either a stillbirth or my baby living a very painful short life of only minutes outside my womb before dying. Because she was an older mom, 38 at the time, Roberts says two doctors recommended an abortion. Mine is was a horribly traumatic time in my life, probably the worst, darkest time I can think of. Robert says her story got some support from Fox News readers, but she says she didn't expect this. You are a baby killer. Too bad your mother didn't abort you. Another wrote, perhaps you should lay your head down on some train tracks. Leave the American Nazi Party, another wrote to the Democrat. Did you get any pro-life people who said, you've given me something to think about? No, no. But I got to believe I touched somebody. Shay was very brave to tell her story. But pregnancy turns tragic much more often than people realize. And now we have doctors, you know, and again, pregnancy turns tragic. If you're going in, for instance, with a, a miscarriage at, you know, 14, 15 weeks and you're passing massive clots. And Jen's talked about this, too. That presents the same way that it presents if something's, you know, if, if you're having a medical, a medical abortion. So these doctors are automatically now on the defensive. There, unfortunately, are going to be a lot more horror stories that are going to come to light because of this. And a lot of these Republicans, and I call them pro-force birth, not pro-life, because I think that is a false equivalency. I think we're all Uh, pro-life. Pro-force birthers are uh, not wanting to talk about this at all. And so how, you know, what is, what does this mean next as we get into the midterms, as we, these polls have been showing that a majority of Georgians are against HB 481. They do not agree with this. I mean, people agree on some restrictions, which Terry, this drives me crazy because we don't even have to go there, but it's like why everybody has to decide the who, what, where, when it's a, it's a private issue. But I mean, how do we, how are we going to get the ball across the field with this? I don't know. And, and talking about the poll numbers is I think really important. And because every time a Republican candidate is talking, you know, every time the subject is raised about reproductive freedom, about choice, about abortion, they immediately try to change the subject to the economy. The economy is of course a valid issue, but it's not, Abortion is also a very valid issue, and it is an issue that is very important, not just to women, but to the majority of people throughout the state of Georgia. And again, anyone who has 
known a pregnant person, been a pregnant person, any mother, any father out there who has watched their wife go through what pregnancy requires and demands of a woman understands that there is, you can't have any kind of one size fits all legislation. You can't have any kind of, well, you know, we'll do this in this scenario. I like what Senator Warnock says about this. He's like, this is a choice that is, that is something that is discussed between a woman and her healthcare provider or pastor. If that's, if, right. he if, says there's too many people in the room. Right. There's too many people in the room. And he's, right. and he's right. Right. I mean, and it's just like, you know, the same situation when we heard about, you know, the 10 year old girl in Ohio, I read about an eight year old girl this morning. Those aren't one-offs, but we're going to be hearing more and more of these stories as more and more of these children have to travel across state lines to terminate pregnancies that result from them being raped. So uh, I have been very frustrated about the corporate response to this because I feel like, and 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 someone said to me on Twitter, uh, where I live a lot of the time, I'm not I'm saying right there it's, with you. it's good, but saying it's not a company's position to take a side or be political. And where I stand on that is this is about the health care of your employees. This is not about taking a stance. And number one, uh, health care, to me, this is a human rights issue. It is not political. So the fact that taking sides, that's all bullshit to me. I don't buy into that. But so I, I, the AJC did a story and they, they reached out to 19, 1400 for, fortune 500 companies and only one responded and Rivion who's moving their big headquarters here. They asked them and they actually said, um, you know, we believe a woman's right to choose and all that. And they're going to pay the expenses of anybody who wants to do that. But these other companies are simply not saying anything. It's really frustrating. They actually called me for that article. And the biggest thing that I, I, I'll get this on the record and I've tweeted this out. It makes me so upset that I will watch in the month of October, uh, everybody wearing this pink ribbon for breast cancer awareness. And look, my mom's a breast cancer survivor. We've all been touched by breast cancer. I've had scares. We all have. I'm not, I'm not lessening what that is. I'm saying that's a, that's a, they're out there for women's health and suddenly we're absolutely silent. And I would, I don't know the stats on this, Terry, maybe you would know better, but I would think this issue touches just as much as many women, if not more. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, I will say, I think just because a company might not be saying what they're doing for their employees, that might not necessarily mean they're not doing something. There have been situations in the past when companies have spoken up and then the Georgia legislature has responded, for example, by saying, well, we're going to take your tax exemption away. Right. There is incentive for some of these large companies to, if they are doing something, to be quiet about it. But this is also, this is at its core, a health issue. Just like when Delta Airlines said, you know, Employees need to be vaccinated or they need to pay a surcharge because they're going to be more expensive to insure, right? They're more likely to get sick with COVID. They're more likely to get sicker with COVID. They're more likely statistically to require hospitalization. Hospitalization is very expensive. And, you know, when you're covering the health insurance, I've, you, know, you are thinking a lot about how you can keep your employees healthier because healthier employees are less expensive employees. And that is a bottom line issue. They have shareholders they have to answer to, right? Abortion is a healthcare issue. It's interesting though, because the whole, you know, we go back to RIFRA, right? The Religious Freedom Act. And 
every single company in Georgia and the chambers, like they were like, we do not like this and this is why. Right. And the General Assembly still passed RIFRA and Governor Deal vetoed. I think I'm trying to think if I'm if I'm remembering he did. correctly. He vetoed it. He I mean did. it didn't pass. It, yeah, and it, it passed the General Assembly and Deal was like, uh-uh, not happening. And they were outspoken. I mean, the corporate community in Georgia has tremendous, tremendous influence and impact. And I it is vexing that it's very, it's very disappointing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's look, the, uh, Coca-Cola really, uh, raised their hand when it came to voting rights they did. and here we are. And, it, and, and again, it's, it's, it's what is there for their employees and attracting new talent. And that is, I, I just, it, it just, it's, you know, and, and the journalist who called me about this, was like, why do you think that is? And what, uh, what about boycotts? And I wondered that. And I actually brought that up to Jen one time. I'm like, what about boycotts? What about doing a boycott? And she brought up a point like, well, you're hurting employees who work there if you do a, a boycott. And, 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 and I'm also like, what about the women that work at these companies? Uh, you know, it, the, I just feel like people don't realize what's ahead of them. I think that, well, I think that's right too. And I think that some companies will probably put into place just like a blanket policy, like a blanket, like if you have an unexpected healthcare expense, whatever that might be, maybe mm-hmm. you have to go get a bunion removed. Maybe you have to do this because I think a lot of health providers too don't necessarily want to know if what a person needs to use that expense for is to go across state lines to get an abortion because like we saw in Texas, a law firm said that they would, you know, that they would pay a big, like a big law firm said that they were going to pay for their, their, their attorneys and staff to do this. And the, I think it was the AG of Texas was like, Oh yeah, watch out. We're going to come after you. It's like, well, and it's just so awful that, you know, you would have to tell your company what's going on. No, and that's the thing too. That's trauma upon trauma upon trauma. So I want to give these big fortune 100 companies the benefit of the doubt and say like, maybe they are putting things in place, but they're not talking about it because they do want to respect the privacy of the employees. That's like the best case scenario. Right. But uh, I mean, best case, really best case again, is saying this again, is, it's like yeah. we had Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. on, which is a very political issue uh, on all the sp- major league sports, baseball, soccer, football, uh, NBA, you name it. They were right out there with social change. And it feels very uh, hollow to me that, 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 that people are not uh, walking the walk. Yeah. No, so, and then they didn't speak out when, you know, when this, when 481 was going through the general assembly, that's right. they were, they didn't say a word, which was surprising because that was just a year or two on the heels of RIFRA. And so a lot of us were expecting some of them to say like, you know what guys, right. Let's tone it down a little bit, but they didn't. And so I guess I'm not shocked at their silence, but it is disappointing. I hope that journalists press them harder and I think they keep going at them. But we have to make these uh, conversations like the, you know, as parents, and that's why it's like, oh, if you say it's not going to affect you, it really does affect you. So I think we keep talking about it. I th- what I think from a campaign standpoint is I feel like women and people running for office uh, need to get more intense and talking about women's health, like talking about that vaginal ultrasounds, yes. talking about uh, amniotic fluid, talking about mastitis. Right. 
Well, the woman in Texas, Emily Elizabeth Weller, was told her amniotic fluid that was leaking out of her uterus for multiple days didn't smell bad enough yet. I mean... I mean, give me a break. Yeah. I mean, there are, and again, it, there, it has happened in state legislatures, not in Georgia yet, but people have brought transvaginal ultrasound wands to the well to explain to their colleagues how exactly that works. You know, we can talk about, you know, if they, they do start talking about contraception. Again, I do want to point out in Georgia, I don't think we'll have any, in the Senate, God knows what's going to happen. Right. In the House, again, 481 only passed by one vote. And I don't think the numbers are there in the House, and I don't think the appetite is there in the House for anything crazy to get pushed, like regarding contraception, anything like that. Uh, and then the abortion pills, and too. The, and the pills. Yeah, I think I think 41 is going to be what it is. I think that's what it's going to be for a while. I don't know if it's going to be. I don't think we're going to go any more draconian. I think there are some things we're going to clean up. One thing I would love to see us fighting for is the rape and incest exception because right now it is absolutely unconscionable that children, girls who are impregnated by their rapist, and I'm sorry, if you're talking about a 12, 13 year old girl, they've been raped, um, that they have to get a police report in order to have that abortion. That is absurd. It is, I, I think I said on Twitter, it's like a breathtaking lack of empathy for what these children are going through. And then assuming they one have the wherewithal at all to know how to even file a police report Two can find a grown up who believes them. Before we get to our guests and we talk about, um, you know, a corruption in the election and all of that as it, as it, as it, you know, it, it located right here in Fulton County. Uh, I want to talk about the poll numbers that came out. There've been a couple of polls that have been coming out. Um, and they basically, they kind of, they have Abrams down, which was not surprising. Um, but, and, and people are saying the poll between Walker and Warnock is even though Warnock's ahead, it's kind of like a dead heat in, in a weird way. What do you Statistically, think? Statistically? Yeah. I mean, I, one thing that I've heard pointed out is that, you know, it's, it's close, but has Walker reached his ceiling? Right. In terms of how high his numbers can go. Like, is he about as high as he going to go? And there are these undecided people. And obviously that's who each candidate is targeting. Um, I, the split ticket seems to be the story that keeps emerging. The split ticket being the people who are going to, you know, vote for Brian Kemp for governor and Raphael Warnock for Senate. And I think the numbers definitely, at least for them from these polls demonstrate that that might be a really real thing. I wonder too, though, even though they did, they did this polls right after all these um, abortion rulings came right. out. Okay. The gas prices are coming down. The economy is still the same. Things are expensive inflation. That's a real thing. No doubt about it. But even though we're such high information voters and we're news junkies, I think the average person isn't. And right. I know that women are starting to freak out. So I just, I don't know. I think anybody who's looking at a poll, I think even when a poll is really good your way, you still have to be skeptical of that. Yeah. What One thing I think is a, is a really fascinating indicator is where people and to whom people are giving their money and the small dollar donors, especially there was a story in the New York Times uh, earlier this week, I guess, about how Republicans are really seeing their small dollar donors decreasing and they're the Democrats are having the opposite. These small dollar donations are increasing. And, you know, when, when we hear people say, oh, well, abortion is not going to be an issue in the midterms, most of the people I hear saying that are guys. 
it's men and it's men who want to change the subject from abortion. And I think where we're going to get the real picture of where, you know, where people's thoughts are is, are they going to start increasing these small dollar donations to pro-choice Democrats? I wonder that too. And I also think it, you know, it's still, um, you know, we're having this spirit of Jen here. Jen is always like, you don't want to have your moment three months before, six months before. So it's, so I, you know, and you know, people say this all the time is Georgia. So nobody really knows, but some of these Herschel Walker ads, I mean, I watched him do the Fox and friends and the fact that he calls the voters, his fans. fans. Oh my God. What was that? (laughs) Senator Raphael Warnock wants to debate you. You didn't debate during the primaries where you walked away with 68% of the Republican votes. Why won't you commit to a debate? Well, first of all, Senator Warnock has nothing else to talk about. He don't want to talk about the high gas prices. He don't want to talk about the high groceries. I've told him many times, I'm ready to debate him anytime, any day. I just want to make it for the fans, not about a political party or about some media. And all he's doing is talking. Doing it for the fans? I mean, that, so that's, that's a little, and, and, and I also think it's just like, there are a lot of people that did not go to Georgia that did not live here in the eighties. Okay. I say this all the time. I am a middle-aged lady. I will turn 46 years old later on this month. Galeo. Um, I was four years old when UGA won the sugar bowl. I was in new Orleans. Like I was present there. I was in the vicinity. Right. Um, which is to say I didn't live in Georgia. Like the SEC school my family rooted for growing up was the ones with the other bulldogs and the cowbells. Like right. it was right. Herschel Walker is not a part of my mythology and I am not unique in that regard. Like there are lots of voters living in Georgia who, and also people who were born and raised in Georgia who were born like 25 years after Herschel Walker. I mean, this, this, little, this, this little clip um, from Doug Richards from Channel 11 Alive with uh, 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 voters is pretty good. Have you given any thought to voting for Herschel Walker? Uh, that will be a no. I, I just think it's, 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 it's just going to get nastier and nastier. And the whole idea that he doesn't want to debate and the talking about debates. And, and I think it's just, you know, and the Warnock campaign is, is really walking very carefully with this. I mean, I, I do think it is a good point that he still has high knee as uh, even with all the terrible things that have come out, he's still doing all right. Oh no, it's wild. It is wild. It tells you how much, like you remember like back in the day when, if you were on the boat with your girlfriend, you were not going to be president. You were done. You were done. Right. So, you know, anything can happen. This is Georgia, but it is, I mean, look, I can like assail against a politician who has policies I do not like or do not agree with. This man is not ready for prime time. I can't imagine him legislating, Terry. I just can't. He doesn't, he doesn't have any answers on, he doesn't have any policy positions because I, I don't think he's concerned with having any policy positions. I don't, you look at it. Uh, and it's weird though. You have on one hand, the governor saying everything's great. It's awesome. And then on the other hand, you have Warkinock saying everything's terrible. Well, right. And that's, and there's this dichotomy, like how are they going to be on the bus together? Right. Touring around right. South Georgia and going to the barbecues and the state fairs, right? Yeah. Like Brian Kemp is like, everything is awesome. And it's awesome because of me. And <laughs> And Herschel Walker's like, I mean, everything's terrible. It's falling apart. It's burning down. You know, it's, it's, it's so fascinating and it's hard to know 
I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm biased, right? I don't like the guy. I'm not going to vote for the guy. I can't take him seriously. His Twitter profile picture, he's wearing boxing gloves and you can see his nipples. Like, this is, I know. how are we supposed to, how is this supposed to be a serious person? I know. He's got a, he's got a solid team of professionals in place that are running this campaign. They don't seem to have much confidence in their candidate for a debate either, because I feel like if they did have confidence in their candidate, they would be like, yes, of course we will do the debates. We will be there. Like the, debates- well, maybe they, I mean, look, we all know that I think when, when it came to, um, John Ossoff and David Perdue, like, I think that was like, that was when Ossoff had like his incredible viral moments and he did the one debate and it was just like, it was earth shattering and it got millions of views. And I think it really got people on the rail, but I think there are a lot of reasons why the outcome was what it was, but, but I, I think, um, they're, they are nervous about the debates. So we're going to have to keep our yes. eye on it. And we're going to also have to keep our eye really on the Trump factor because you can look at all these polls, you can look at all these issues, but at the end of the day, uh, if, if whatever is happening with the former president is going to, it is going, even though his popularity seems to be waning, um, a lot is going to matter with that. And with that, I get to our guest. So our guest is Tamar Hellerman, and she is a senior reporter for the AJC, and she writes all kinds of stories about everything that matters to Georgians' lives. But right now, she is hosting a podcast called Breakdown with Bill Rankin about the Fulton County Trump probe. The podcast is incredible, and this is arguably one of the biggest stories uh, the story where like there's so many things that revolve around the uh, bad things Trump has done. But this one seems to be the real game changer. Tamar, welcome. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks so much, Mara and Terry. It's so good to talk to you guys. So let's get started of where we are right now. What's the latest? Sure. Well, the latest, um, you know, we, we kind of had two developments this week. The first was that a, um, you know, the Fulton County judge who's overseeing the special grand jury ended up disqualifying not only Fulton DA Fonnie Willis, but her entire office from investigating Burt Jones. He's a state senator who was one of 16 alternate Republican electors in, in December 2020. He's also the Republican nominee for lieutenant governor. And the DA held a uh, hosted a fundraiser back in June for the man who became Burt Jones's Democratic opponent. And uh, Senator Jones filed a complaint asking to disqualify her. A lot of legal experts I spoke to thought that it was going to be kind of a long shot. It's a pretty high bar for a uh, prosecutor to get disqualified from a case here in Georgia. What the judge ended up saying is, yes, technically this was within the DA's rights to hold a fundraiser for somebody, but her actions have consequences. And especially when you're talking about an investigation that is so high profile, that's generating so many national headlines, he does not want there to be any kind of whiff of politics or as much as possible to try and tamp down on any sort of criticism. So he ended up disqualifying her office from just looking into Senator Jones. Um, a similar complaint from 11 of the 16 other electors uh, was rejected. Um, and so that was a massive development this week. We also um, heard from a lawyer for Congressman Jody Heiss, who has been a big proponent of the Stop the Steal movement up in Washington. He was trying to quash his subpoena 
to uh, go in and testify in front of the special grand jury. A federal judge ended up quashing that. Um, And so lots of fighting in this investigation as, you know, the DA has gotten closer and closer to the former president. I think it's been fascinating to watch this unfold. I I also thought that it was a long shot what Burt Jones trying to get Fonnie Willis off of his case. (laughs) Not illegal. Unbelievable! <laughs> trying to get Fonnie Willis off his case. Um, I thought it was a long shot because it was a, you know, the fundraiser was held for the primary at that point. Charlie Bailey was running against Kwanzaa Hall. It was, you know, it, it, Burt Jones was the presumptive nominee, but he wasn't officially the nominee. You know, I guess he was officially the nominee at that point, but it is, there are some, you know, some big allegations of some big laws that were broken in Fulton County. I've said before, it's completely appropriate for them. To, I believe it's completely appropriate for them to be doing this investigation. And, one of the things that I think is important to note, too, is that this doesn't mean Burt Jones isn't a fake elector anymore. He was still there. He's still a fake elector. And one of the things, tomorrow that I would love some clarification on is what is happening next? Because I know the prosecuting attorney's counsel is who is in charge now of determining whether and who he will continue to be prosecuted. Is that correct? Yes. Um, So it'll ultimately be up to whatever DA's office is appointed to decide whether to subpoena Senator Jones, whether to consider him a target of the investigation now, whether ultimately to charge him with a crime. And we saw a statement from the head of the prosecutorial, um, uh, ahead of fact, the the prosecutorial, oh my goodness, it's a Friday afternoon. You haven't even said (laughs) his last name yet. Oh, well, Pete Scandalakis, I can say that. The Prosecuting Attorney's Council of Georgia. There we go. Um, you know, and they indicated they're not in a giant hurry to appoint a, another DA's office. Um, you know, first of all, they mentioned that this special grand jury that's looking into all of this, um, you know, they can't issue any indictments. And so Pete Scandalakis, the head of this group, mentioned, you know, he's kind of studying his options. He hasn't made any decisions yet, but he mentioned potentially waiting until after this phase of the investigation is done before he appoints anybody, if he ultimately decides to do that. So at least for Burt Jones, I think there's definitely a sigh of relief. He can kind of go on campaigning and he can kind of tell people, look, this neutral Fulton County judge ended up kind of smacking Fonnie Willis's wrist on this. And, um, you know, I think it's fair to say that for the immediate future, he's not going to be bothered by this. Right. So he's not going to be bothered by this. And maybe he kind of, you know, scoots by. It doesn't mean, as Terry said, that he's off the hook completely. But um, I've heard a couple of points like that. This only validates this investigation that he this did get derailed a little bit that how serious this makes it even more serious that it's not partisan because of this, you know, minor technicality. And then uh, where we go through next with the other people like Jody Heiss and some of the others, uh, they are still well in it. Right. It's worth noting that all the other electors who are trying to have the same thing happen with their portions of the investigation, they're also hoping to get the DA disqualified. The judge said, "Uh uh-uh, there's no conflict there. DA Willis can keep investigating them, keep moving forward with that. And by the way, the DA is still allowed to ask these other electors about Burt Jones. She's still able to collect information about him and this role in the scheme. What she's not allowed to do is kind of use that to to go after him later. That decision ultimately will land with whatever future DA is appointed in that 
Um, and Mara, you mentioned how there's some people who think that ultimately this might do the DA in, in Fulton County. It might be a favor to her in the long run. And that is something I heard, um, you know, from folks. Obviously, it's kind of a black eye, a little bit of an embarrassment in the short term. But hopefully, you know, or at least that's what Judge McBurney, the, the Fulton County judge who's kind of overseeing this whole investigation, he's really hoping that kind of now it'll force the DA's office to be very cautious in how they step to make sure that this investigation has enough, you know, as much credibility as it could have. Right. And there's, there's definitely merit to that, right? I mean, there, there is, I think this is a judge who is, he seems to be very well regarded and it does seem like what he is trying to do is, is make sure that these, this investigation is unimpeachable and make sure that more folks can't come back and say, well, what about this? What about that? If it's, if you're taking, you know, you, you eliminate any glimmer of was there a conflict of interest, then you're right. The investigation just proceeds forward with the 11 other folks. And right. Because I've been seeing like Burke Jones campaign. They're like, woo, woo, win, win. All we do is win, win, win. <laughs> and I'm like, that's disingenuous, right? Was, yes. So, um, okay. But I do want to move forward as far as your fantastic podcast breakdown, which everybody should listen to because it really, you, and your colleague have done such a great job of talking to people. And the one thing, I think the one episode that, that I don't want to say it irritated me um, because I, it, it just, it made me go, um, because we all know we have the dude on tape saying, I, I'm looking for 11,870 votes. votes. Right. But a lot of, you had a lot of legal counsel basically talking about intent and intent seems to be the biggest thing here. Like Trump believed all kinds of crazy things and it's easy for them to say, well, he's a, he believes crazy things. So where do we go from here tomorrow? Sure. Well, and thank you, by the way, for listening to Breakdown. We've been working so hard on it and it's been such and a And Bill Rankin is your, is your partner and he doesn't, you guys are great together. Thank you. Um, I think with the DA's office, what they're doing right now is they're trying to collect as much direct and circumstantial evidence as they can to kind of help understand the state of mind of all of these people, not just Trump and the people around him, but even kind of going down to the electors. How aware were they that what they were doing was a crime? How much information were they given that, that no, this, there was not massive fraud in this election. Donald Trump indeed lost. And did they kind of go ahead with it anyway? And that's where I think the January 6th investigation can be very helpful to the Fulton DA because they have a lot of access to federal records and federal officials. Um, and we're maybe able to uncover things that would have taken a long time for the Fulton DA to be able to do herself. And I think the testimony of folks like Cassidy Hutchison, um, you know, folks in the Department of Justice, they even got Bill Barr to come give testimony. All of that can kind of help her establish that especially the president was told over and over again by members of his own team that there was not massive fraud, that he has lost the election. And so should the DA decide that she, she wants to charge the former president, she can kind of use a lot of those same things excavated by the January 6th committee as part of her case as well. And same with the, the, the fake electors. Remember, the Justice Department is looking into them as well. There was an email that was leaked as part of that investigation, this email from a local Trump campaign official basically directing the electors to keep things quiet. Not only that, to lie to security guards and the journalists about what they were doing in the Georgia Capitol in December 2020. 
all of that can help paint the state of mind of these folks as they were about to commit those acts. Well, you look at the photographs that we have of inside of that conference room on the second floor of the Capitol where the fake electors gathered and they and the air there seemed to be pretty jubilant almost. I mean, they they seemed like a pretty joyful bunch in the photographs that I have that I have seen. And, you know, you you have heard anecdotally from people who were invited to go be, you know, fake electors and declined. You know, they obviously knew that there were very valid reasons to decline the invitation to be a fake elector. There are some of the fake electors who, yeah, the feds have their phones. That's not a good thing if you're a person and the federal government has your phone. Um, it, yeah, I, I, I like what you said, Tamar, because it, it, it is like, like, to what degree did they understand the full reality of what they were doing? Like, like did, how, what was their appreciation? Did they know, you know, that there wasn't any fraud, but they were doing this anyway because they wanted to help keep Trump in office? That's a very critical question. Yeah, there's a couple of things to kind of unpack with that. The first is a statement that David Schaefer, one of the fake electors, who's the leader of the, the Republican Party here in Georgia, what he told my colleague Greg on that day. You know, he mentioned we were doing this at the request of the Trump campaign which is interesting, um, you know, and, and maybe that can help, you know, we were just being directed, you know, we didn't really know what was going on. I don't know. They could maybe try and paint it that way. Although if you look at legal filings recently from an attorney who was representing 11 of the 16 electors here in Fulton County, you know, she mentioned that they still don't believe that they did anything wrong. These electors, many folks are citing Hawaii and what happened in 1960 when Richard Nixon was running against JFK. Um, at the time, Democrats had appointed a contingent set of electors because there was a recount going on. Still at that moment, I believe there was only a difference of about 100 votes or so between the two candidates. And at the end of the day, ultimately, those Democratic electors were the ones who recounted because JFK ind indeed ended up winning the state. So they still believe, many of them, that they did absolutely nothing wrong. But in Hawaii, and yeah, but, but these electors in Georgia, like they self-identified. Nobody said, oh, by the way, we're in this really close recount. We need to have a contingency plan. They decided to be their own contingency plan. And the situation in Georgia was different. At that point, the election results had already been certified by the Secretary right. of State's office. The votes had been counted. They'd been recounted. There was an audit. There were many things that kind of showed no, Joe Biden did narrowly win Georgia. Um, all 16 of those electors, I guess, minus Burt Jones at this moment. So 15 of them now have been labeled targets of this investigation by D.A. Willis. They were all asked to come and testify before the special grand jury this past week. Um, all of them tried to get their subpoenas quashed, or at least, sorry, 11 of the of the 16. And the, the judge overseeing it, the same one who disqualified Willis for Burt Jones, said, nah, -uh, you have to come in. You can you can uh, you can plead the fifth, um, but you have to come in. And it was interesting hearing from their attorney who mentioned, I'm going to direct them to not even say anything. Even, you know, she's worried that even having them confirming their names could ultimately be incriminating and used against them. So, wow. so someone could wow. be sitting there. They could say, will you please state your name? They could say, I plead the fifth. Yes. Wow. wow. So I wonder what, like, if you're on that jury and we talked about this on our last podcast, like, you know, cause you, you know, as we, as you were boarded and we know that Senator Jen Jordan uh, had to testify and uh, she openly said that and said, look, if you've got nothing to hide, you should, there should be no problem with that. So I wonder how, when you're a member of that jury, 
how that looks when you're someone's just pleading the fifth, pleading the fifth right. over and over and For over something again. Something as innocuous as their name. <laughs> yes. Exactly. There's a there's a real stigma around kind of pleading the fifth, and you know, as a juror, you're directed to not kind of take, even if somebody says that you, you can't be just kind of assuming that they're guilty, but on a human level, it's kind of hard to, yeah, right. to not think that sometimes. Well, and isn't that why we so, have juries? Because we want that human level. And remember this special grand jury is inherently different from a regular one. They cannot indict anybody. All they're doing is issuing subpoenas. They're collecting information. And ultimately at the end of the day, they're going to be making a recommendation, but it is not their decision about whether somebody should ultimately be charged with a crime. Okay. So here we are where we're, it's, things are really heating up. Why do you think this is the one that everybody has their eye on more than all the other ones? It seems like, yes. And, and, and if we've noticed that, I feel like it's people on Trump's team have specifically said, don't talk about this one. You know, let's let's I know you're there's a million horrible things that you can say. <laughs> but leave this out. What do we think? What are some of the potential outcomes here? Sure. I mean, there, there's many. Um, first of all, we're a lot farther along than people realize in this investigation. Oh, okay. The DA launched it in February 2021. So she's been kind of quietly assembling information for the last 18 months. Uh, much of it was really under the radar. There wasn't really a special, there wasn't a special grand jury in place until May 2nd. But a lot of this stuff has been kind of happening very quietly in the Fulton DA's office. Um, and the DA, remember, is not constrained by a lot of the customs of the Justice Department that somebody like Merrick Garland really has to worry about. Does he want to be the first attorney general to kind of criminally pursue the president from the previous administration? There's some really troubling precedent associated with that, that Merrick Garland knows, and maybe he doesn't want to be that person. Um, there's also a lot of differences in the law. Remember, Fannie Willis is dealing with state laws. Merrick Garland is dealing with federal ones. And there are certain laws here in Georgia. First of all, we have a solicitation to commit election fraud statute um, that some lawyers I talked to say fits very neatly with that phone call that the president placed to Brad Raffensperger in January 2021. We also have a broader racketeering statute than the feds have, something that other lawyers say could be a route that the DA may want to take. Um, and you're right, Mara. I mean, absolutely. The president has, the former president has been relatively quiet about this one as well. Uh, for a guy who loves to kind of rail about his political adversaries, he's mentioned here and there, he's talked about racist prosecutors kind of in general, you know, kind of grouping together Fonnie Willis and, you know, the DA in New York City and the New York AG, but he really hasn't gone after Fonnie Willis very much. And he's, he's talked vaguely about his, quote, perfect phone call with Brad Raffensperger. That's really about it. I wonder if that changes should we get closer to a charging decision. But clearly there's some directive that, you know, not to talk about this. And even his lawyers on the ground have kept a really low profile here. Well, and it says a lot that Trump would you know, not that someone would issue him a directive or advice to please be quiet, but that he actually is being quiet. Yeah, he's listening to that. Um, so how are you doing, Tamar? How's this been going for you? This is one of the hottest cases. People are just like really, I mean, I think it's like, it's not just, I mean, there was that huge New York Times article uh, in the Sunday Times with uh, DA Fani Willis about like, you know, this is just like the case, but you're like the woman on the scene. Like you are the expert. This is like your moment. How, how is it going for you? 
<laughs> well, you're very kind. Well, I mean, I'm tripping over my words today. So I'm, I'm a little tired in general. I, I guess I'll summarize it by saying that on Tuesday night, I woke, I bolted up in bed in the middle of the night in a cold sweat thinking that I missed a filing on the docket. <laughs> oh my God. You need to talk to my husband. <laughs> it's, it's very much become my world, but you know what? It's a re- it's really professionally invigorating. I covered Capitol Hill on and off for about 10 years. I kind of thought that I'd left the political game behind me, but it's been a ton of fun to get to kind of learn the ins and outs of the legal code. I really am like a legislative nerd. I haven't really covered the judicial system in any way. So it's been such a pleasure to get to learn all of this, getting to talk to such smart lawyers about this. And truly, there's just been so many twists and turns that I never would have anticipated. Um, It's truly been a blast. Well, and really speaking about like covering this judicial aspect, you could not be working with anybody more suited to this and experienced in this than Bill Rankin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you guys are are great together. Well, Tamar, thank you for your hard hitting journalism. I mean, you know, journalists matter so much. I know that when you probably go downtown and they see you coming, people are maybe not that happy to see you. Um, (laughs) Or are they? I don't know. No one's thrown any eggs at me yet, but we'll wait and see. Well, that's good. I just love that you came to Atlanta to like be someplace a little more chill and less political than DC. And like you are in the least chill place anyone could possibly be with regards to politics. There, there are no slow days in Georgia's political news. And everything's unpredictable tomorrow. uh, You should read uh, all of her work in the AJC, listen and subscribe to the breakdown podcast. It's got several seasons and it's really, really terrific. And if you want to, I mean, anything that anybody needs to know, I know there's a lot of national journalists that really have their eye on your coverage because you are just at the ground zero of this case. And um, you say they're almost done. So, I mean, Ooh, It's getting hot in here. Who knows? We don't really know when this thing could end. I mean, in theory, probably by the end of the year is what the DA told me when I talked to her a couple weeks ago. But we have no idea. There's been enough surprises in the last three weeks. Who knows what's going to happen? All right. Well, we're going to find out first from you. Tamar, thanks so much for uh, talking to us today. Thank you. Bye, Tamar. Well, that was a lot. I learned a lot. I did too. There are so many elements to this that, you know, so Bonnie Willis is not going to be investigating Burt Jones, but the special grand jury can still ask questions about what he's doing. And so they can still basically gather evidence that if and when a prosecutor is appointed by the prosecuting attorney's counsel, they'll have all kinds of information. It's This is fascinating. Today I learned. What's interesting, and this is sort of horrifying to me that, you know, he's running for lieutenant governor and he has someone who wanted to uh, throw the overthrow democracy willingly. And uh, he's leading in the polls. It's wild. (laughs) I mean, people are like NBD. Yeah. No, he he was part of the crew that (laughs) led that cavalcade of clowns into the Capitol that, you know, yeah, that that really that really strikes me. But Tamar's work is is just it's like it's just, it's just so on point. But it is so interesting with lawyers, though, how they can find any loophole there is. I mean, that there's one episode, as I mentioned to her, where like all these lawyers are like, there's nothing there. And then I see other lawyers who are saying, oh, there's a lot of there there. So that's the specialty of lawyers, right? One of you is going to say there's nothing there. One of you is going to be like, mm. 
beg to differ. Right. Okay. So let's move on to some other things I wanted to talk about. John Stewart has been really making the rounds and he's been so impactful talking about giving these benefits for veterans for burn pits. Burn pits. And he's gone so viral. I'll place some of the, what, what he had to say. Um, but I, I did want to point out just to push back a little bit on this. So the Republicans, when you you say what you said, they do not support veterans. Uh, the Republicans push back saying there is unrelated spending uh, within this. Uh, it's, not, it's just not true. What they're saying is they don't like that it's mandatory as opposed to discretionary. There isn't unrelated spending to it. They're saying there could be if there wasn't oversight. But that's what the Senate's job is. The bill itself is incredibly detailed and prescriptive about what it's for. It's about treating and preventing the uh, different conditions that veterans are coming home with, including cancers and chronic bronchiolitis and all these other issues from their exposures in Iraq and Afghanistan. And to push back on what they're saying, they're saying, what if this creates a slush fund, right? So are you familiar with something called the OCO, the Overseas Contingency Operations Fund? Fairly, yes. So every year, 50 billion, 60 billion, 70 billion dollars is added to what's called the OCO on top of the 600 billion, 700 billion, 800 billion that goes to the Defense Department. That OCO fund is actually a slush fund. 60 to 70 billion dollars every year, no oversight, no guardrails. And every one of those Republicans that voted against health care for veterans voted for the slush fund for the war. They don't support the troops. They support the war machine. And that's got to stop. The value in the U.S. military isn't in the toys. It's not in the hardware. It's not in the tanks. It's in the men and women. And until they start supporting them in the manner that they purport to online, yep. they are hypocrites. It, it is Terry, I'm curious from your perspective from campaign, like, should people be using this in their political ads? Like, is that relevant to say like, cause I, cause I'm like, so I, I'm so offended by people who I think exploit the military and oh, supporting the troops. But, absolutely. And then they're not. No, that that's the thing. And that's, it goes back to that performance, right? You're saying you support the troops. You're saying you support the military, but you are perfectly happy to go on the record. And and what's so fascinating about this, and John Stewart has called out the hypocrisy, right? Some of these folks have, have in the past been supportive of this legislation. And now they're saying they don't like it. And at the end of the day, you have people, you have real people. And I think this is what is why John Stewart is so disgusted. And he was, he was the same kind of fierce advocate for a lot of the 9-11 survivors also. And, you know, for, for the, for the first responders that you, you're willing to campaign on these folks. You're willing to say, you know, well, I support the military. I back the, you know, support our troops, back the blue, whatever it is. But when push, you know, like when it, the rubber really meets the road, when you've got to go there and you've got to cast that vote, which will have an absolute transformative impact on the lives of real people who were very willing to put their lives on the line for you. So you could stay back in Washington and do whatever it is you're going to be doing for them to not do this. I, I think that's perfectly reasonable to campaign on because I think that campaigning on someone's intellectual dishonesty is always valid. So here we have, you know, as we talked about like de Dems and disarray and all these bad things, well, things are starting to, I mean, look, 
I think I said earlier, gas prices are coming down. Uh, they made a big deal with Mansion, and we're going to get some policies done. I mean, things are getting done. It's all uh, the optics and moving things forward. And it, you as um, a politician, is there enough time? Yes. Okay, good. Oh, yeah. No, I think, I, I mean, we, we, have, we have a whole season ahead of us between okay. now and the election. And I don't think the Dems are in disarray. I think that Dems are not a monolith, but that's not surprising, right? We, that, that's not surprising to anyone, but we are a disparate, vibrant, varied group of folks who are able to get behind our candidates when we need to get behind our candidates. That's how we elected Joe Biden. That's how we elected John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. We are able to do the things that we need to do because we can play the long game also. Okay. So, you know, we got to, we got to, we got to stay hopeful. Yes. Know? We need to, you know, Terry back under the gold dome in January. Just. Well, I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> I'm so yes. I'll 100, like I said, I got nothing but time and rage. But and we do need you to, to make sure you support your local candidates because yes. they matter more than ever. Like I know it's very tempting and you want to give to the marquee names. Of course, you want to give most of your money to, to Terry and Senator Jen Jordan <laughs> for attorney general. Um, but it's interesting um, that the uh, the Democrats were in town at State Farm Arena recently, and they're p- potentially thinking about making Atlanta the headquarters of the convention in yes. 2024. What'd you think about that? Oh my God, I had so many memories of 1988, which was the last time we had the Democratic convention in Atlanta. And I was not living in Atlanta at the time. I was living in Houston, Texas, but this is relevant because picture it, Cicely, no, picture it. Suburban Houston, 1988, you've got this 12-year-old girl and she sees the governor of her state give this amazing barn burner of a speech. And I'm talking about my girl, Ann Richards. I tweeted the speech a couple of days ago. I'm going to pin it to the top of my Twitter profile. Every Democrat needs to watch that speech and listen to Ann's words. And yeah, this is the poor George. He was born with a silver foot in his mouth speech. There's that line, great line, good for laughs. Ann knew exactly what she was doing, but there's so much more meat to that speech. And the advice that she gave Democrats in 1988 is advice we should give Democrats today. But most people don't remember Ann Richards when they remember the 1988 Democratic convention in Atlanta. They remember Club Rio. <laughs> so uh, I remember Club Rio and that Rio shopping center in oh Midtown. It was sort of like legendary, I'm right? old enough that I had a gym membership at the Australian Body Works oh. at the Rio Mall. <laughs> I had a membership to Australian Body Works in Sandy Springs over by uh, American Pie. Oh, If we're going nice. deep cuts. We're going deep cuts. But so Rob Lowe got in some trouble because he was with two women, right? It was two. Two. There were two. Rob Lowe says he's working on behalf of the Democrats since he was 10 years old, thanks to the influence of his activist parents. He's currently attending the convention in Atlanta, writing testimonials and narrating party films before setting out on the road in the fall to urge teenagers to vote. And they were in a hotel room and then there was a video of it. So Rob Lowe has said that he invented the sex tape. He just never made any money off of it because he was at this. He was at the convention. He gave a speech, right? Like his, and he, I remember he said like his parents had been longtime Dem supporters. He, you know, he was, he was, he was ready to convention. 
Well, you know, you think about that and that was such a big story then as far as like he was with younger, I was one of them, like a teenager. One of them was, yeah. Yeah. So that was not good. Yeah. That's not, good. not good. Uh, she was at club Rio. It, well, who wasn't at club Rio? <laughs> I mean, that was the place to be, but yes, that was very, very memorable, but it is pretty amazing. The things that would just like be earth shattering then are sort of like, nah, now it's and like, it was, yeah. Well, and Rob Lowe said it was transformative for him. Like he got sober two years later. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, he's been married to the same woman for almost 30 years at this point, And by all accounts has a phenomenal marriage and a phenomenal family. So Rob, if you're listening, I think if we're in Atlanta in 2024, I think he needs to be a keynote. Oh yeah, that's right. And you know what they say, Atlanta influences everything. Atlanta influences <laughs> everything. So I hope they do do it here. That would be really, that would be, but oh my gosh, we have so much more to go in just three and a half months. It's, it's just, it's really going to be intense. So, um, we'll, we're going to keep you aware of everything that's going on. Cause it is never boring when it's Georgia politics. Did you have fun? Is this fun? This is so much fun. I love having you over at my oh. house. I mean, we've been at uh, Jen's headquarters, but uh, welcome, welcome in. I love being here. I mean, you, you know, again, back when I was like pumping iron at Australian Body Works, <laughs> going to the body pump classes and like step aerobics and I would listen to Mara Davis on the radio. See that? And now you're seeing me in my home office. Just we're talking about uh Rob Lowe, uh, getting busy in, in the eighties. Yes. And I love that. I'm like, that's, that, this is Gen X, right? Like old enough to have done a body pump class at Australian body works at Rio mall, but too young to have actually like remembered Herschel Walker winning the sugar bowl. Yeah. I don't remember that at all. No. Okay. Uh, thanks so much to Christina Loringer for being a great producer. Uh, we are very, very lucky to have her kids. If you're listening and you want to like do well, learn how to produce podcasts. There's a lot of money in that. Right, Christina? I'm just kidding. She's the best. Better than being a YouTuber. (laughs) Well, it's a solid... I'm telling you, don't get into radio. Get into audio producing. That's that's the deal right now. Uh, Listen, you have to vote. You have to be aware. We've got a lot going on. We will keep you updated. Terry, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We will be back again. 